Well, it's good to be here in God's house this morning at Porch Light Baptist Church. We've been having a lot of fun this morning singing and just having a good time in the Lord's house. And this morning we are uh, still in our Roman sermon series, and this will be part number 42. Uh, I've titled the message today, Gifts of Grace. Gifts of Grace. We'd like to thank everybody that's here this morning in the service and everybody watching online. Pray the Lord blesses you, and you pray for me as I try to preach today. If you have your copy of God's Word, you turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, and we're going to look at verses 3 through 8 this morning, Lord willing. Romans chapter 12. And here the Bible says, For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members of another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation. He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence. He that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the reading of your word today. Please help me as I try to expound upon this text that you'll be glorified in these things we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, we pick up here where we left off this past Wednesday. It's only been a few days since we were here in church. And looking at these next verses, 3 through 8 of Romans chapter 12. Now, last time we talked in great detail about being pleasing to God, living a life that was holy and acceptable unto the Lord. And uh, that's what Paul wrote about, was being a living sacrifice. That's what we talked about in great length. And to do that, we needed to follow what God's Word says about our reasonable service. Remember, it's not unreasonable that the Lord would expect us to live a certain way. He saved us. He redeemed us. We belong to him, and therefore we should do whatever he wants us to do, and it's not unreasonable. It'd be like now we don't, uh, of course, in this day and age we live. I know there's still slavery going on, uh, but back in the day here in the U.S. when people had slaves, they became their owners. Well, it's kind of similar when we uh, belong to the Lord, we become his servant. And so, uh, not in a slave, you see the, the, the term slave has gotten such a bad rap because everybody immediately thinks about blacks being persecuted and, and whipped and all that. Uh, that happened, but, uh, in the most occasions they were taken care of because these men, those slaves became their property. And so they didn't want to damage their property or make it to where they couldn't use them. But those people that belonged to them did whatever they told them to do. We, in similar fashion, should be obedient to the Lord and obey what he tells us to do because he is our Lord and he is our master. And so we talked about the sanctification process that we all go through as a Christian. Sanctified immediately when you're saved. However, you keep going through a sanctification process. That's where we walk and try to become more like the Lord Jesus in our everyday habits and, and thoughts. And, you know, we will go through this until the day we close our eyes in death or the Lord comes and 
snatches us up out of here and raptures us up into the clouds of glory. And so here now Paul begins speaking about gifts of grace that are given to us from the Lord to be used in service in the church. That's, that's what this whole thing is speaking of. And so these gifts of grace, look at verse 3 of our opening text. Paul writes, For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. Now, first of all, we know that he's talking to brethren, what it says up in the beginning of this chapter. Brethren uh, refers to saved people. So Paul speaking to the saved here. It's assumed that everything that he said from chapters 1 to 11, they've heard and they have obeyed the gospel and they are, they are saved. And so now he's speaking about Christian living. And so he, he's saying, he's talking about this grace. Now he starts out here in verse 3 talking about the grace given unto him. And we know what that was. The Lord made him the apostle of grace, one that would preach the gospel unto the Gentile. And so Paul is saying, for I say through the grace given unto me. So the Lord appointed me to be able to tell you this. That, that's the gift he gave me. That's the gift of grace that he's gave me. Gifts of grace, a gift of faith, the measure of faith. These are all describing spiritual gifts. The gifts that God bestows upon us through the Holy Spirit when we become saved, everyone has a gift of some kind that God gives you in measure. We'll talk about that more as we go. But Paul, in his humble way here, explains that God has appointed him under this ministry of grace. And he just matterly of fact explains that it was God that gave him the office. He didn't appoint himself, and no man appointed Paul to do this. So let's not forget the definition, definition of grace is free, unmerited favor from God. You didn't deserve it. You didn't do anything to earn it. God just bestowed it upon you by his grace and mercy. And so uh, with that in mind, Paul cautions us not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. A lot of men would brag and boast about the gift that God has given them, and they do. There's many people today, the church has gotten so uh, corrupt that men today are more concerned about themselves than they are uh, preaching the gospel, or that people come to Christ. They want everybody to come to them and look to them and lift them up on a pedestal. And that's the problem. Our pride starts wanting us to be lifted up on a pedestal. And many people today believe they ought to be there in that position. God has given me this gift to be able to be an orator, and I speak so eloquent, and I should be lifted up and look at me and buy my best-selling book. That You know, that's what a lot of people today correlate with the ministry and, and preaching and pastors. And it's sad because that is so far away from what the Bible teaches us about the ministry. Paul here is, is explaining, and if anybody could boast, we know it would be Paul. I mean, he, he's the most educated man around. Uh, he had done so many things. He could have been, you know, the, the, of the highest echelon of the, of the ministry in that day. But he wasn't really concerned about being seen by everyone and being known as something, he's just humbly telling them, look, God gave me this by his grace. I didn't deserve it. I didn't earn it. You know, I'm just thankful that God has given it to me. And he cautions us. Now, now you, the, the gifts God's given you, the grace he's imparted unto you, that he's measured unto you, the measure of faith, you make sure you're not going around bragging and boasting about what you, you can do. 
Because it's not of you. It's a gift from God. And so we got to be careful today that the things that God gifts us with, the spiritual gifts, that we don't somehow believe that it's all us and take credit for the things that God has done. Now I'm reminded of two different kings in the Bible. You'll probably think of them too. One's in the Old Testament, the book of Daniel. We have King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. You remember what happened to him? He had that dream that this was going to happen. Daniel told him it was going to happen, but yet he didn't learn anything. And so he's out there in his castle one day, and he's bragging and boasting about building this great Babylon. You'll find that in, I believe it's Daniel chapter 4. Talking about how great he's built Babylon and, and all these things, you know. And we know what happened. Uh, God forced him out of that castle and into the fields to eat like an oxen. And he grew, uh, his hair grew like feathers and he had claws like a, like a, what was it, a, a bird of some kind. And so we know that happened to him for seven years because he gave credit, he was taking credit for what God had allowed him to do. Now, Nebuchadnezzar was a Gentile pagan king. He wasn't a Jewish king. However, God is still reigns and rules over all kings. He sets men up and he puts them down. Kings up and kings down. And he had allowed Nebuchadnezzar to, to be in this position. Everything that Nebuchadnezzar had, God, by his grace, allowed him to have it. But yet Nebuchadnezzar stands up and says, I have built beautiful and wonderful Babylon, this great city, you know. And God says, nope, out in the field. <laughs> Now, he humbled it after seven years. He did humble himself before the Lord, and he gave the Lord credit and all. I don't know how long that lasted. Not, probably not long, but uh, that, was, that was a man in the Old Testament who wanted to take credit for what God gave. Now, in the New Testament, there's another man. He is king of the Jews. His name is Herod Agrippa. Now, you'll read about him over in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 12, if you want to turn there. Acts chapter 12, verses 21 and 23 uh, he, he was the, the big king at the time. His daddy had been king. His grandfather had been king. Now he's king. And he thinks that he is something else, friends. And in Acts chapter 12, verse 21, the Bible says, And upon a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat upon his throne, and made an oration unto them. And the people gave a shout, saying, It is the voice of a god and not a man. And immediately the angel of the Lord smote him because he gave not God the glory and he was eaten of worms and gave up the ghost. <laughs> so here's a man, again, taking credit for what God has done. He stands up and the people are saying, Oh, Herod is a, a God. He's not a man, he's a God. And what did Herod do? He stood there like this, soaking it in, loving every minute of it. The Bible says he didn't give... Uh, God the glory. Uh, it says because he gave not God the glory. What happened to him? God struck him down. Struck him down dead. Not only that, he was eating of worms before he died. Now that's one bad way to go out. And so we need to be very careful. Paul says that we are not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. Instead, he says we're to think soberly. Now, we all know what that means, don't we? The opposite of of, uh, of being sober is being drunk. And so when you're giving credit to yourself and not God, you're thinking like a drunk man would think. Uh, you don't have anything inhibiting you from saying whatever's on your mind. You just A drunk will let anything roll off their tongue and then have to pay for it later. And so Paul's saying, don't, don't think and act like a drunk man would think. 
think soberly and think that way. If you think soberly, you'll realize anything that you have, anything that you think you can brag or boast about, it was God who allowed you to have it. He gave it to you. And then he says there in the last part of that verse uh, 3, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Now that that little statement right there in the end of that verse is very important. This tells us that every believer is speaking to believers. And when it says every man, it means every believer. Uh, and so the, the lost are not bestowed the measure of faith. They don't have it. But every believer, it's very important we know this, we have a measure of faith dealt to us. So, and everyone's different. Everyone has a different gift, a different measure of it. Some have more and some have less, but everyone has a measure of some kind that God has given them. Now, when it says a measure of faith, it's referring to spiritual gifts because that's what this whole chapter is dealing with down through here is spiritual gifts. And so these are gifts that God has given us to fulfill his purpose and to, uh, to fulfill our role in the church. You see, a lot of people think that holding down a pew is a position in the church. It's not. It's not a gift. It's Anybody can sit in a pew and hold it down. And so God gives everyone a gift of some kind and in uh, and, and different measures. That word measure means a portion. You know, if you, you measure something out, you're taking a portion of something. If you get a bag of, of flour, were they, five, were they still five-pound bags? Sugar's not five pounds anymore. I learned that at the store. Well, they three or four. They're four pounds. Still charging more than they were when they, it was five pounds. But if you take a five-pound bag of flour and you scoop out some, you've scooped a portion out of there. Well, God's given us a scoop of his spirit, uh, uh, our own measure, whatever he has deemed necessary for us. And it's the perfect measure, by the way. He didn't withhold some just to make things hard on you. No, he gave you the perfect measure of this faith to be able to fulfill your role in the church. Uh, the Bible says in Ephesians 4 and 7, But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. So he measures these things out. The only one ever to be dealt this, this faith without measure was the Lord Jesus. The Bible speaks of this in John chapter 3, verses 34 and 35. It says, For he whom God has sent speaketh the words of God, for God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. The Father loveth the Son, and hath given all things into his hand. So Christ is the only one that, is, that has all this faith and, and grace and, and, and gifts without measure. We have it with measure. So we have a portion that belongs to us that we are to fulfill. So the rest of us are dealt this measure, and no one has been left out. Just because you've not discovered what it is that God has gifted you with, or, or you've denied it or pushed it away, doesn't mean you don't have it. God has given everyone a gift of some kind. Uh, Paul went on in more detail about this in his first letter to the church of Corinth. Why don't you turn there and look at it in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And we're talking about gifts here. Gifts of grace. Spiritual gifts that God bestows upon those that are believers. 1 Corinthians 12. Start with verse 1. The Bible says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles carried away unto these dumb idols, even as you were led. 
Wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord but by the Holy Ghost. Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit withal. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one and the self-same spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. So we, we see from reading God's word that he gives many, various, it says divers in one place, that means many different kinds. And so all these gifts is mentioned. Now, some things we believe that are no longer valid gifts of the Spirit. They were necessary in the day of the apostles, such as speaking in tongues. We don't believe in that here at the church, the speaking in tongues. Certainly, if, if the Lord wanted you to speak in tongues, he would allow you to do that. I fully believe that. But I believe from everything we've studied in the Scripture that the speaking of the tongues is no longer a valid gift uh, and the, the, uh, the gift of being a, a, a prophet now, there's difference in the word prophet uh, in the Old Testament and partially in the New. You had prophets that foretold things that God was going to do. It wasn't words written down that they read and, and told you. It was what God gave them. And if they ever got it wrong, they were a false prophet. But there were men that were called prophets in that day and apostles. There's no longer apostles, a position of an apostle today. We've got a lot of men running around today claiming they're apostles. No, you are not. You were not here and witnessed the Lord Jesus personally after his resurrection. And so that's the only way you could do that. That's how all the apostles were, were uh, bona fide apostles. And the apostle Paul was came to later on that road to Damascus and where he met the Lord. And the Lord appointed him as an apostle. But men today are not getting the gifts of an apostle. And so the apostle Peter also says this in 1 Peter 4.10 as every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. The fact is, if you're saved, God has measured of you a perfect amount of a free gift that he wants you to use in service for him. This is to be used within the church and within your Christian life in a daily walk with him. Uh, whenever you confront people and work with people and around people, you should use these gifts. These are gifts God's blessed you with. Uh, there's nothing sadder than to see someone that God has gifted with some great gift and they refuse to use it. Uh, they, uh, they run from it and they don't use it. And listen, friends, God gave it to us and he could just as soon take it away from us. But uh, verse 4, back in our text in Romans chapter 12, verse 4, we'll continue. Paul goes on to say this. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Do you see the cohesion that's going on here? Uh, Paul's explaining that, yes, each person individually has been gifted by God some measure of grace here, a measure of faith to use your gift. However, all these things come together. 
many members make up one body. That's why the church is called a church body. We are a body. Each one of us makes up a portion of that body. If you think of it in terms of a human body, which Paul did in the, in the, over in 1 Corinthians as well, uh, if you think of it in terms of a human body, each part of you makes up your whole body, but it's individual part. My thumb is not my head. My, uh, my toe is not my finger. My knee is, is not my elbow. But they all come together to make one body. Same as us as Christians, as members of the church. And I'm not talking necessarily about the, the local New Testament church, the Porchlight Baptist Church. I'm talking about the Lord's church. All those that belong to him, we make up this huge body with Christ being the head of the, of the church, the head of the body. And we make up the fingers and the toes and the legs and the arms and all this. And so Paul begins describing this body of the church. And this is the first time he's referred to the church as a body, by the way. And uh, he describes the church as the body of Christ. And this is really just a short and condensed version of what he shared with the church at Corinth. Again, go back to that same chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And we'll pick up in verse 12 where Paul uh, goes from talking about uh, the, the gifts that we just mentioned uh, of all that, and he starts talking about how all these operate together. Look at 1 Corinthians 12 and 12. The Bible says, For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I'm not the hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I'm not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not the body? If the whole body were an eye, where, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body, as it has pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members, yet but one body. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of thee, of you. Verse 22, Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor. And our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need. But God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked. That there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. And God has set some in the church. And here he starts listing off more of those gifts. First apostles, secondary prophets, thirdly teachers. After that miracles and gifts of healing. Uh, healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles, have all the gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. And so I believe if we look at what Paul has written here, we come to an understanding that 
if we think about it in terms of a church and a church body, it will prevent us from swelling up with this pride that he started out with, cautioning us about not to think more highly of ourselves as we ought, but think that we are just the integral part of this body. That it takes each one of us working like a cog and a wheel together to make, make the body move and do things. And so God has gave everyone a gift or a calling. Uh, no office or position or talent is greater than the other. It takes us all to complete the body. And so that's what Paul is saying in the rest of our opening text there in Romans chapter 12. Look at it, verse 6. We'll read 6 through 8. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministry, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence. He that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. And what Paul has done, he's listed seven, seven different grace gifts that's given unto the church, unto individual members. But as he's been saying all along, it, are these the only ones? No, no, there's much, much more than this. He mentioned prophecy. This means speaking forth is what it, the definition of prophecy is, speaking forth. Now, as I, I said a while ago, there's no prophets today as they were in the Old Testament. Uh, the prophets of that day, God gave them information. They didn't know what it meant most of the time. They had no clue. But God said, you tell the people this. And so they go and tell the people, not knowing what was going to happen. And then it would come to light. Now, we have the uh, the pleasure of, of having all of God's scripture, all of his word, this canon of scripture, so we can see what those prophets of old prophesied, but we can see the interpretation and in, in what they mean in the New Testament. Because the New Testament reveals what the Old Testament had in a shadow or hidden. And so today there is no gift of prophecy. God's not giving new prophecy to man today. Now you'll see some of those nuts on TV that'll stand up there, these televangelists, and they'll try to tell you that God gave me a, a vision. He gave me a sign. You won't find it in your Bible, but I'll tell you what he showed me. And so they'll get up there and they want you to send them all your money, you know, and uh, they'll they'll impart to you this this book they've written about end of time prophecy that God told me the day and the time when he's going to come. That man is a liar. And you can take all these men that gave these prophecies like this on TV and show where they missed it, where they were wrong, and that right there is the sign of a false prophet. A real prophet will never be wrong if God has appointed them a prophet. Now, like I said, there's no prophets today, but in the sense of speaking forth, you could say a pastor, a preacher, an evangelist, are all prophets of a type because we declare what God's word says. So I'm not going around claiming the title of a prophet, but it's what God has said. Now, there's he mentions the, uh, the gift of ministry. This would probably be more in line with the role of a deacon in today's church. Um, he gave the gift of teaching. This would be, of course, someone who stands and teaches God's word. They can open it up and explain it. Uh, they'll have students in front of them, and uh, they maybe can ask questions, and they can answer those questions. They teach God's Word. This is what God says, and this is what this means. 
There's the gift of exhorting. Now, this is a gift that seems uh, almost lost today, and that's someone who encourages and lifts up other people. In fact, we today, most of the time, you see anti-exhortation. Uh, people wanting to tear you down. Every time you turn around, somebody wants to tear you down, say something bad, try to make themselves look better than you. There's very few people who comes around encouraging others. That is a gift, and God has gave it to people. And there is nothing better than to have someone in your church that is like that. I've had them. I've been in, in services and uh, had churches where there were people that would just come to me, and they would lift me up. They would, they would exhort me, and it would make me feel so much better. And so that is a gift. There is the gift of giving. And there are some people who God has blessed and they can give and uh, they, uh, they, they can give their time, they can give money, but all this is to help the church or those in the church. The gift of giving. There is the gift there he mentions of ruling. Now this is someone who would play like an administrative role, maybe an overseer of the church property, uh, could be a trustee, could be a clerk. All these positions that God gives people to be able to fulfill. Not everyone could be a church clerk. You don't want me to be the church clerk, okay? Because these numbers, when, when, when numbers start at me, it's like I'm like in la-la land. You know, I don't know. <laughs> so we would go completely broke if I was the church clerk. You don't want me to do that. But there's some people that's been gifted that gift of understanding things like that. They know how to add numbers together without a calculator. Uh, and so some people have these gifts like that, the, to rule over things and to take care of, of things. And then he mentions the gift of mercy, someone who has compassion on other people. That kind of goes in, in hand in hand with the exhorting. But to have mercy on someone means that you have a heart that when you see somebody in need, it, it could be a monetary need, it could be a, a physical need, uh, a spiritual need, whatever it is, you recognize that in people, and God's gifted you to see it and to help them, to come alongside them, much like the Holy Spirit does when he's, when he's referred to as the comforter. There's a lot of people that have the gift of mercy, they have compassion on people, and they care for them when they're in need or suffering. We need people like that in the church. If everybody's cold-hearted, then that's not going to be any kind of church you want to be in. You want to be in one where, you know, there's a need recognized. Somebody says, you know, they need. Now, I love it when we're able to help people. We do that as often as we can here in our church. We find out somebody's in need. Maybe they need a little bit of money uh, or whatever it is. And if we've got any money to give them, we, we try to give it to them. Uh, we don't have a lot of money here. We don't have a large uh, body uh, of congregation or anything. And so we rely upon the tithes and offerings that we get. And uh, But we give whenever we can. We're not here to make money. Uh, yeah, that's not what it's about. And if our bank account was sitting at zero, that's fine. As long as we take care of what we need to take care of. You know, we, we do have bills that we have to do. But uh, we help people when we can. But that takes somebody that has mercy on people. So all these gifts are gifts of grace and are very important and necessary in the church. But they all work in conjunction with each other. There's not one of those that's greater than the other. So we got to be careful that we don't lift up certain people in certain positions to such a high level that everybody else feels like, well, what I'm doing is just worthless. You know, well, I can't be the pastor. I can't be a deacon. Or I can't be the song leader. I can't be this. I can't be that, you know. So I'll just be nothing. And that's the attitude that a lot of people would have. And so we, as church members, 
need to recognize that and say, listen, I, you know, it's fine if you want to exhort someone and tell them they're doing a good job or something, but don't ever get to where you're worshiping the person that God has gifted with a certain gift. Maybe some preacher or pastor, there's a lot of preachers today that expect people to worship them. They won't come out and say that, but buddy, if they don't have a, a number, set number of people come to hear them preach, they feel like, well, this is not worth my time. You think that don't happen? It happens. I can tell you some very famous ones that have went to churches where there wasn't the amount of people they expected to have, and they turned around and walked out and said it's not worth it. It happens. And listen, it you can men can allow themselves to get in a position to where they feel like they deserve such and such because God has gifted them. I remember as a young man when I first started out in the ministry, I had all these little blue-haired ladies coming up to me and say, "Oh, you preach so good, you know. You preach just like brother so and so. Oh, I just think you're the best, you know." And my head was going. I thought, surely if this lady that's a hundred years old thinks I'm the greatest preacher she's ever heard, I must be, you know. And so I got so proud and proudful that I, I could barely get through the door. And I tell you what, when the Lord humbles you. Uh, it's not it's not fun. He humbled me and uh, brought me down. But you know, there were times I thought, well, I you know, I'm preaching, I'm I'm pastoring, I am leading the singing, I'm teaching Sunday school, I'm changing the sign, I'm creating the church bulletin. I was doing every single job that there could be done except for taking up the offering. And church clerk, I didn't do either one. <laughs> but and so you get to thinking, well, you know. Uh, all these things that I can do, I must be pretty important and expect people to recognize that. You better be careful because God will bring you down and bring you down quick. Um, listen, I have no aspirations to be well-known or for anybody to know my name or to say, oh, that Brother Byron, boy, you need to get him out here for a revival. He's some preacher. No, I don't care nothing about any of that. Um I don't want to be the most famous pastor in, in Knox County. I just want to do my part. I'm just grateful that God will use me in a small way, and, and he's, that's what he does. He uses us in a small way. Uh, we don't have a large ministry, but uh, let me say this too. If you're saved, God has a gift of grace for you, and you need to recognize what it is. Every church has this need, and every person in the church is a vital part of the body. And so it's up to you whether or not you're going to accept God's gift, that portion he's measured out unto you, that he has for you to fulfill in the church. Like I said, every church has needs. We have needs. Here at Porchlight, as small as we are, we need somebody to lead to singing. We need somebody to play the piano. Uh, we need somebody to operate the video and sound. We need somebody to uh, direct missions, you know, teach Sunday school. All these positions that we really need, we you know, we need help. Uh, but the list is endless. And while the Lord has enabled me to be a jack of all trades, and a lot of times, you know, the pastor should not fulfill every role in the church because he's gifted others to to become part and all make the body as one. Uh, it's it's like you're expecting your head to do everything and the rest of your body not to do a thing. What if? The only thing that was alive on you was your head. Your arms didn't work. Your legs didn't work. Your heart didn't work. <laughs> your head wouldn't work after that. But what I'm saying is, 
you know, a lot of people expect the pastor to fulfill every position. Your head can't do the work of your arms. You can tell them what to do, but it can't do it itself, you know? Uh, it can't run. Your head can't run if it was the only thing that was alive. And so it takes all the body. Well, sure, the head's important, but so, so is everything else. Yeah, heart's real important. If that heart quits beating, that's it for you. Yeah, the blood inside, it's very important. Without blood, you're not going to live. <laughs> the muscles and the, and the tissue and the bones. If you don't have any bones, what are you going to be? You're going to be a big, big blob of jello. <laughs> so, look, it, all the body is necessary, and not one part is more important than the others. And so the list goes on and on and on. And uh, listen, God expects us to do our part. It takes every member of the body to function as a whole. Now, we don't have time to get into the rest of this chapter this morning, but on down through here, as, as Lord Wim will get into next week, it goes on to describe the marks of a true Christian and uh, how we're to behave and how we're to treat others. And there's a lot of good stuff in there that you don't want to miss. And so be praying about that for the next uh, message, uh, maybe this Wednesday. Uh, if we're able to have service Wednesday, we'll, we'll, Lord willing, we'll get into that part of it. All right, well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, God, we come to you this morning thanking you so much for the, the message. Thank you for the truth that you've given us in your word, Lord, and the gift that you bestowed on every believer. Lord, I'm praying today for that one today that has been saved, but they have not recognized the gift you've given them. And Lord, they uh, they don't know what to do. Lord, I'm praying that today they will get serious. They will pray about it. Lord, you'll show them and open their eyes to the gift that you've given them. Lord, and give them that encouragement to use that gift to fulfill your glory and your purpose. Lord, thank you for this church and for those that take a part in it. Lord, thank you for everything that you bless us with. God, I'm also praying today for the lost, for those that may be listening today that really are not even part of this. God, if they're lost, they're not part of the church. Lord, they're not, they're not saved. They're, they don't have these gifts. But Lord, I'm praying for them. Lord, that they'll come to the knowledge of Christ before it's too late. And Lord, if you'll help us be able to reach them, Lord, that's, that's our desire today, is to reach the lost. Help us, Father. And these things we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.